Consequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Uh, we're now past the 100 block. We've done 100 episodes, and um, as you may have noticed on the 100th episode, I chose to interview some friends of mine from the past and bring kind of a new, fresh perspective to what it was like growing up where we did in New England at the time that we did. And um, I should mention, of course, that Pod Sequentialism is taped at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in West Hollywood and is supported heavily by Gallery 30 South. That's gallery30south.com and the necessary ats across social media with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can follow this podcast uh, at podsec, P-O-D-S-E-Q, on most social media formats. Um, you can listen to us on Stitcher and, and wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, our favorite being Blog Talk Radio. And so um, one person that I had wanted to speak to on that 100th episode with my friends Paul Marcure and Paul Glavin was my friend Tom Snagoski. And all of us go back to one particular comic book shop in Lynn, Massachusetts. And that comic shop um, had been owned by Tim Cole, who still operates Cole's Comics in Lynn, Mass., and uh, who was such a mentor and, and great supporter of, of the, the boys that hung around in that store. And kind of helped us all kind of find our wings. I came from a slightly later generation, but knew Tim well. And it was those guys, Tom and Tom, uh, Tom and Paul and Paul, and several others who kind of set me on the path of what I do now. And so I, I welcome and thank with um, much celebration my good friend Tom Snagoski. Hey, thank you. Absolutely. Now, for people who follow comics, they're going to recognize your name as uh, working alongside people like Mike Mignola and Jeff Smith and Frank Cho. And um, but you go back before that. You're um, you had been writing short stories, and when Steve Bissett put together Taboo, oh, yeah. um, you you got uh, a piece into the first Taboo, and and maybe subsequent ones, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, no. I think I was. I was no. Uh, I was only in one taboo. Mm-hmm. Only one issue with taboo. And then there were a couple and, uh, of indie comics. There was the Swords of the Sharpay. Yep, uh, Gutter Rat. Uh, and then from there, I went over to Harris Comics and did Vampirella for three years. That's right. And you you'd also worked on the Punisher for Marvel. I did the Punisher. It's the it's the Punisher that no one wants to talk about, <laughs> it's, which is really bizarre because, you know, it has that reputation. But when I meet people at conventions, I always get, man, I love this one. So it's it's this really odd thing, you know. You you from from off in the ether, you hear, boy, did that stink, man, that was awful. But when I meet fans of, uh, you know, when I go to conventions and stuff and I'm signing copies of the thing, it, 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 there's a real enthusiasm for it. So I don't really know where it falls. And also, here's a little piece of, of, of information. That Punisher miniseries with Bernie Wrightson mm-hmm. has never been collected. Wow. It's non-canonical. They have, never, they have, <laughs> they have never, yeah, they have never collected the the Bernie Punisher, which always floors me because they because we had done a, a a sequel after the bernie one um chris and i it was a punisher wolverine that's chris using golden that yeah me and chris golden using using that um that version of our, you know that punisher our version of the punisher the angelic Punisher. right so that has recently been reprinted but the but the Bernie one has never been reprinted. Wow! Someone in in Isn't that crazy? Got a, I, I don't a wild, understand. Yeah, uh, wild stick in their butt, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, it was one of the very first of the Marvel Knights 
books, along with, you know, Black Panther and Inhumans and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sold really well. I mean, I was getting royalties for, like, years after it came out. And that was, like, the so apex it, of publishing, too. That was right around the time that Image had split off. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe Spawn was on issue eight, so, I mean, it might have been, like, either the Alan Moore or the Neil Gaiman issues of spawn yeah i'm not quite yeah i'm not quite sure where where it fell but i do remember it was at a time where marvel had really kind of was, was kind of in trouble yeah and uh, joe and jimmy joe Cassata and jimmy palmiati started the whole marvel knights thing yep. and it was almost like this shot of adrenaline to to like the marvel universe because those books sold like remarkably well and yeah. were really well received um, so yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was a very interesting time in comics. So it's kind of interesting as we look at publishing numbers now and think that a book oh, that yeah. was probably circulating about one and a half million copies or better is out of print when, you know, anybody would yes. kill to have, you know, a t- 10% of those numbers. Oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I see the numbers now on your average monthly title and you know, they're losing money. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's no way in hell that those books are making money. I've heard a lot of people say that once a book is collected, you know, when they do the collected versions, that's when a little bit of money trickles in on mm. a specific title. Um, but yeah, your your average your average monthly title, I don't think breaks even these days. Wow. Well, I, I mean, really don't. I mean, I think I think like your X Men and stuff may, most likely does. Right. But I don't think you're like your kind of random, you know, second, third tier uh, superhero book from Marvel or DC. I don't think those break even. But ironically, if you go to the indies, if, or if you go to the, I guess the, the the big time independent publishers, which would be like Image, or um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, a niche publisher like that, that those books yeah. make money regardless and the creators make way more money on way less circulation so oh, yeah it's... without a doubt because they own because i mean they're doing everything i yeah. mean image is an umbrella you know yeah. image basically helps you get it out there maybe yeah helps you get it out there helps you maybe make some suggestions here and there but in terms of actually producing the book and getting it out that's all left up to the creators yeah that's that's your time frame you've got a schedule you have to be on time yep you have to deliver yep. a finished product and then they're going to stick yep. in a couple of ad pages and um and maybe you get preferential rates because they're publishing so many books a month that you would not be able to get on your own and then you split right. that and you're getting distribution through diamond or whoever is handling image books these days yep Yep. So when you were kind of more involved in comics, um, at yeah. what point did you make a conscious decision to steer towards young adult? Because clearly young adult is a much more lucrative business these days than comics are, but you're kind of ahead well, of the curve. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's really bizarre because, I mean, I, I actually, my, the, first, the first novel that I wrote, well, the first book I wrote was actually nonfiction. It was... Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the monster book mm-hmm. that I did with Chris uh, Golden and Steve Bissett, right? Which was like a it was like a pop culture history of all the monsters from the show, from the Buffy show. At that point, I think they were on like maybe three seasons. At and that in point. New England, unholy trinity of creators. I know. Huh? Oh, that was that was that was a trip. That book, was, the the fact that I'm still married after that book is amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, that was like I that was like a night because it was the first time that I had ever done anything like that. 
I mean, I'd primarily worked in comics. That's mm-hmm. I'd written comic scripts. I had never written any sh- book, any way, shape, or form, uh, you know, a, a book. <laughs> and the amount of like research and and stuff that I had to do for the monsters that I was assigned was like crazy. And I just, I don't know, like maybe a lack of confidence was a, played a big part in it, but it was, it was mental. It was just absolutely mental. And the thing is what we delivered, they cut out half the book. Uh, we so delivered so much. Our oh, great you know, gratitude I, to I, Leanne and her patience in that process. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let me, let, let me, let me say this though. Beset. Now, I don't know if you've ever had Beset on your show. He was my, my, my second guest. Oh, was he? Yep. Yeah. But what Bassett delivered had Chris and I going, oh, Jesus, he's at it again. He delivered like hundreds of pages. Yeah. And, you know, because he's just. He's, he's a just completist. Font. Yeah. yeah. He's just this font of knowledge. So we delivered a book twice the length. They had to cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when that was all said and done, I was kind of like. I, 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 you know, I was, I was shaken, you know, it was like, oh, I, I'm never going to do that again. That was too much. Give me, give me some funny books to write, you know, right. I, I can't handle this. And well, what the they editor, should have done is they should have done a subsequent done appendix. Yeah. Because it's Buffy. Yeah. That shit was evergreen. Yeah. And we said that to them. We said, maybe you want to, cause it, uh, literally Matt, it was, it was, it was like close to 200 pages. They cut out. Wow. Yeah, which is nuts. But book publishing is incredibly short-sighted. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years. If they can screw up something, they will do it gladly. Yeah. And rub their hands and be, be all proud that they did it. <laughs> yeah, look at the but, poop on my hands. <laughs> look at how awful that is. <laughs> yeah. um, but the editor on that book contacted me after we delivered the book and said, Hey Tom, we just got the Angel license, meaning the spinoff from Buffy. Right, Buffy, right. Uh, the David Boreanaz character. I was like, character. "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." And she says to me, "If you were going to write a Angel novel, do you have any ideas?" And I said, "You know what? I'm still shaking from the monster book." I, I, I she goes, "What? Well, you must have a couple of ideas. Give me a couple of sentences on a couple of ideas, please." So I wrote a couple of sentences down. And kind of didn't hear from her for a little while. And then she came back and she said, hey, I was looking at those ideas. Uh, these two here are really interesting. Could you, what, what, what more would you do with those ideas? So I expanded <laughs> on those ideas a little bit. From and bullet pitch to outline. I was being tricked. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was being tricked. Yeah, I'm not too bright, as you've noticed. So I gave her a little more on both those ideas. And she comes back and she says, oh, I really love this one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, she goes, if you were going to do that one, you know, do you have any more on that? So I, being a fool, <laughs> gave her a little more on that one idea, and then it went quiet. And it was a good maybe two or three months, and I'd forgotten all about it. <laughs> and I get a call from her, and she says to me, okay, your deadline is July 15th. And I was like, what? Yeah, what you're, month is it at this point? That, you're doing that angel book for me, and your deadline is July 15th, all right? Is that good? And I almost had a stroke. Yeah. Because honestly, I wasn't, in my mind, I was not ready to write a novel. Right. I was, I was, just, I was, just, I was just not there yet. So Chris Golden talked me off the ledge and said, you can do it, you know, come on, you can do it. 
and I did the Angel novel, and the Angel novel was my first. And that and that kind of straddled a, a kind of a YA line. You know, they didn't call it YA; they just called it a media tie-in. Right. But there was a, but they definitely the YA audience was definitely being focused. On. Yeah, it, it wasn't maybe perhaps an overt supernatural romance. Um, right. which is what we now kind of associate a lot of the YA audience with. But it was definitely young adult. And um, that was really kind of put you on the map for what shapes up the second half of your career, and which I think is has been what most people know you for. And now you've got you know, your your own series of books that are out there and, and I've you yep. know, I've I've purchased and sent them to nieces and nephews and they seem Aww. to love them. So <laughs> that's a cool <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I know this dr- I know this drunkard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's amazing that he can spell his name. <laughs> <laughs> but talk about that. So from from Angel to your your other angelic themed series, um, what's the timeline? Uh, oh, geez. You know what was interesting? The, I had written, not too long after the Angel book, I had written a the, the first three or four chapters of an adult novel. Um, and it was the first book in my Remy Chandler series yep. that I do, the P.I., the Angel P.I. Now, for people and, who, who are familiar with Remy Chandler, I'm going to say that right. this character goes back to maybe 1981. Oh yeah, the, 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 he wasn't even called Remy Chandler then. Right, he had but another I, name. I do remember that when it started to become that, and I had, and I sent you back a stack of, um, of like mimeographed copies of stuff that you had been sending out back in the day, and um, somehow oh, you did, yeah, yeah. Somehow, like that stack had fallen to me, and I was moving. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if Tom even has copies of this old stuff because I know I move around and I lose things. And I was, and I called it. I'm like, Tom, you know, I found this this great collection of stuff that I think you might want. You know, let me shoot this over to you. And I, I mean, one thing that I always, I always recognize about stuff that I've written a long time ago. And maybe it's me, and I just have a tremendous ego. Is that I look at it, and I'm like, God damn, that's good. You know, like I can't believe that I wrote something that was worthwhile when I was young, and I'm kind of like, wow, I don't even think I could write like that now. And now my take, my take is usually a little bit <laughs> rougher. My my take is usually, man, this is awful, but <laughs> there's an energy to it that yeah. I wish I could get back. Yep, it's like this. There's, an, there's it, almost an enthusiasm yeah. that explodes off the page yep. that you you wish you could kind of bottle that again, you know? Yep, yep, which is amazing. And I mean, like, and I mean, I think there might have been 20 or 25 short stories just in that collection of manuscripts that I had sent back to you. And what we always fail to, to recognize in ourselves, and this could be very much a part of where we grew up and, and you know, the place that we came out of and the time that we came out of it. And so um, I'm 46 years old this year. How old are you this year? Wow. You're 50, are you 54? <laughs> I am 55 now. I'll be 56 in February. Right, right. So you, you got you get about Ugh. 10 years on me. Um, we'll say nine and a half. But, <laughs> there um, you go. Make it feel better. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But, I mean, you know, you were, you were one of the guys, you know, that when I was coming in, you know, after my paper route and kind of quietly listening in on the conversations and wonderful arguments that happen in comic book shops, that, um, <laughs> you know, I asked you, I was like, you know, I've heard a little bit about these Joker fish stories, and I think that's when everybody just kind of stopped talking and, like, looked at the alien that was in their midst. And, um, you know, after bringing back a G.I. Joe comic that was absolute garbage and, and just being happy that <laughs> someone was willing to give me my money back. 
and um, and you walked me over to the detective bin. You're like, oh yeah, there's these. You know, these are good, but all the ones in this in this series are really good too. And you became kind of like the de facto, um, you know, guide of of what it was that I should be reading. You know, you would you had ten years on me. And you had um, been following a lot of the really great stuff, and it wasn't necessarily. I mean, even back then, you had you had publications like Comic Collector, and you know, Amazing Heroes mm. was out. And Amazing Heroes yeah. was actually written by comic book fans, which is not anything we could accuse the the comic buyers guide of or the comics journal. Oh God, comic yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are people that hate comics and hate that they, they love do. Comics. Yeah, 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 but they feel obsessed to write about them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's you know, there's that great uh, routine in. Um, Oh my gosh, the comedian that uh, Jim Gaffigan he does a whole thing on um, on vegetarians who eat, you know it's like you know you never find somebody like you know that people seem so obsessed with the things that they don't like you know it's like um, you know I don't like meat I don't want to see meat is meat asking about me is it okay if I drive by meat's house just a couple of times and it's kind of like that weird aspect in the comics yep. journal of. We hate everything, and you're an idiot if you don't like what we like, which is the really dumb, soulless stuff from the 1950s or the most contemporary <laughs> off-the-ranch lunacy stuff. And the only yep. things they follow—I know you're not a fan of Grant Morrison's. I, I like Grant. But um, you know that they, the only person they even seem to cover in superhero work is Grant, that they don't cover the work that anybody else is doing. And it's a shame because there's some really good stuff out there right now. Um, you know, there's the series Black— there's, um, you know, the 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 current run in Batman is fantastic. The um, oh, the Mr. current run in Batman is amazing. Yeah, Mister Miracle is great. Mister I mean, Miracle is amazing. Yeah, you know, there's some Actually, really good um, stuff out there. Uh, even from a smaller publisher, Eric Powell's uh, Hillbilly. Oh, is everything fantastic. Eric Powell does is great. I mean, yeah, it's, but Hillbilly is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he gets enough attention. I, I'm I'm a I'm a big uh, drum banger for Hillbilly. <laughs> Because yeah. I just think it's an amazing book that people are kind of missing. You know? Yeah. And you know what I think it is, though, honestly, is that I don't know if that narrative and that artwork go together. Oh, really? See, I, I totally disagree. I love it because his work automatically has this odd nostalgia. Like, to me, even though the styles aren't the same, he reminds me of Dave Stevens and that Dave could evoke this kind of contemporary past. And I think that the storytelling in in Hillbilly is a little bit more has a little bit more grit. And I think that if if it were illustrated, I don't want to say not as well because that seems pejorative, right? I think, but if it were, yeah, yeah, because I, because honestly, you're you're saying this, and my brain is sparking. I'm like, how could you do that? Because honestly, I think he. He's one of the only guys I think working in comics that really gets what he does. Yeah, yeah. His, his writing and his artwork, I think you couldn't have one without the other. I couldn't imagine anybody else drawing that story. And that's probably true as well. But it's like I, it's I really feel like his style is almost too good. It's almost too technical. Like that. Oh, that's interesting. That it might be that's better if it had a little bit more um, mess to it, like a little bit more veach in there, you know, and a huh. little less Tottlebin. But um, interesting. You know, to, to use the names of the collaborators of our favorite people. But um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right, and I think what's what's funny about this moment in comics and about the the circulation being so low is that. 
when people kind of go back and look, and who knows, maybe comics will get a resurgence and the numbers will go back up and they'll learn how to market to um, to more diverse um, readers. I mean, it's one thing mm-hmm. to include um, diversity in a comic, and it's a whole different thing to get that comic in front of that audience. And right. if the numbers do go up, I think you're going to look back and see the the, the value on these low circulation comics are going to be really high the way in the early 80s when the circulations on certain runs of Cerebus got low for whatever reason, they became incredibly yeah. valuable. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, suddenly people were aware of something and yeah. they couldn't get it. And that bothers them, especially especially if you have that horrible collector's bug. Yeah, that, that we've all your, had. That lives, that, yes, that lives and grows in your brain. And that I just that idea that I can't have that. Yeah. Is enough to is enough to send you over the edge. Yep. I still have it. It's really awful. I can't I can't <laughs> imagine where you put everything because you were buying basically a short box of, box of comics every month back in the day. Oh God, I can't. Right when my when my dad passed away and my mom sold the house, I had to move all the comics into my house that uh, that I have in Stoughton. It's like two hundred so long. My boxes. house looks like the warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. I mean. It's, it's it's like it's it's like a nightmare. I'm, I'm basically what I'm doing, and I promise you, I am doing this. I'm organizing in order to get rid of some of it because yeah. it's a lot of crap. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of crap. But yeah, so all that stuff, we actually had a rent storage space, which we've never had to do with ever. Yeah, but we had rent storage place, and a lot of stuff came back here in order to start to organize and put stuff together. You know, what's funny though, Tom, is that a lot of that stuff that you and I probably consider crap is probably yeah. quite valuable now because it's all you know that what? Infinity probably Gauntlet not even stuff. recognizing. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. My, my, my poor wife is going through stuff and organizing it. She'll pull out something and she'll show it to me. She'll go, what the hell is this? And I'll look at it. I'll have no memory. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what, because there were so many little independent companies yep. that sprang up in that time period that I'm like, I don't even know what that is. She goes, well, you got five of them. <laughs> like, oh, great. <laughs> five copies of Anything Goes number three. <laughs> Honest to God. <laughs> you know what? I might. You might, yep. I might. Now, who's in that one? Is that the Turtles one? It's got to no. be the Flaming Carrot, and it's got to oh, be... Flaming Carrot, yes. Um, is probably... The Turtles were in one of those. I think, you know, it's funny. It might be number three. That's so weird. Yeah, Probably. But yeah, that, you I mean, know what? I might, I might <laughs> five copies. <laughs> well, the I might. You never know because I just I I find that this stuff in the in as we're going through the stuff, I'm finding like I have like multiple copies of stuff. Like I yeah. have multiple copies of all the Miracle Men, the the, the Alan Moore. <laughs> Miracle well, that the were. late run, the um those later issues, the gaming ones are incredibly valuable and worth quite a lot of money. Yeah, because yeah, the circulation I guess was the so price sounded. It sounded, yeah, it sounded like the print run really dropped off at that point, so there weren't many, many of those. Yeah. I never actually even read them until they started reprinting the series recently. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, this is a very interesting take good. on the character. Yeah, it's very different from the Moore stuff, but very good. Um, yeah. You know, much in the same way that a lot of people who have kind of tackled his environment have, have gone in their own direction on stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which is nice. Yeah. You don't want to see the same crap done over and over again you know yeah yeah and i you know the i've I've been kind of staying away from the recent um watchman inclusion in, in the dc universe um just you know when i read the i read the first i read the first issue of uh was a doomsday clock yeah and it wasn't bad it was it was it was com- 
completely enjoyable. So I'll give it a shot. I, I did read the first issue, and my immediate thought was, why don't they just do their own thing? You know, like, clearly these guys can write. Why do they need to go back to this well? Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, I, 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 this, I go back and forth with people on this stuff. I'm, I'm a little more forgiving of that stuff. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think I'm one of those people that just, I just like a good story. If you're going to tell me a good story and has good artwork, bring it on. Right. I, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to what you're going to do. Right, right. No, for sure. You know, it's like movie sequels. Like people are like, oh, why would they do that? And I'm like, you know what? If it's good, it's good. If it stinks, it stinks. You yeah. know, it's give it a chance. You know, <laughs> for for every Godfather two, there's fifteen Nightmare on Elm Street twos. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're right. But again, they had their opportunity yep. to present something that was good. Yep. And if it wasn't good, well, that's that's. It's, they failed. And and nowhere more evident than in the success of the recent Exorcist show, which is fantastic. And, I love the Exorcist oh, show. I yeah. love it. It's one of my favorite shows on TV, you know, and, yeah, and what Jeremy yeah. has done with that is incredible. So, yeah, yep, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's easy to – I shouldn't say it's easy. It is possible, absolutely, to tell your own story in your own way um, using material that people are tangentially familiar with and using it as a brand name, as an, as a way and as a milieu of, of doing your own thing. And that I well, do it's applaud. Interesting. I had to do something to that effect when Jeff Smith approached me about the bone stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody had ever touched that world yeah. before. So I get this random phone call out of the blue from his wife who says, hey, would you want to write a prequel to bone? It's kind of like, excuse me? Wow. Yeah, and it was like, it kind of came out of nowhere. He had a general, he had characters and a general, like, minuscule concept. He said, I want to do something like that. He wanted to do, like, uh, almost like a uh, tall tale with, like, Paul Bunyan. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the -the over-the-top, funny, kind of crazy stuff with... You know his his uh, his bone his founder of Boneville, which is like this uh, Davy Crockett type character named Big Johnson Bone. Which when he told me the name, I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff. He didn't get it. He's like, what? What's the matter with the name? And I'm like, ah. <laughs> Leanne ordered me the collected little Abner. <laughs> so yeah, so so that was a ridiculous challenge to say, okay, now his bone, who which is one, I think every comic book award imaginable yep. all over the world. Yep. And somebody's asking me to play in that playground that, you know, that nobody else has been allowed to play in that playground. Well, you did so pretty well with it and you were certainly invited back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I you know, I did the the stupid stupid rat tails, which was the original one, mm-hmm. and then they they collected it in uh, at Scholastic when Scholastic um was option the rights to do the bone books in color, which is incredible. They wanted to do that in color, and Jeff, because they needed the book to be bigger, asked me to write a new Big Johnson story for that collection. So I did that, and then from there we spun off into three original novels that take place in the Bone universe. So it uses. Uh, the Valley, which is the big location in the Bone stories, and I introduced a bunch of new characters and used some of the old characters. So, yeah, that was that was, the the novel was incredibly challenging to do those three novels, just because of the fact that nobody had done Bone novels before. Right. So I had to kind of take a comic book concept 
that that has only been a comic book concept, right? And kind of bring it over to, you know, to to the prose side. So that was a little bit of a challenge, but you know what? It was an absolute joy to do. I re- I really ended up once I once I got over the the jitters of what what I was actually gonna try to do. Yeah, it was kind of exciting, you know. Yeah. And certainly, you know, the the following that that book has and has maintained. I'm actually kind of surprised that Bone hasn't become more of a multimedia thing. Like, um, I'm surprised there wasn't well, a TV keeps, series. Well, he's he's had tons of run-ins with uh, the, the studios with it. Now, I believe Warner Brothers owns it now. Oh. Yeah. And, and they, they couldn't break an done. egg in the sidewalk. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, they, pretty, they don't know what to sure do with family stuff. You know, they, they had Iron yeah, Giant, and Iron sure. Giant was squandered and wasted. They had My Dog Skip, yeah. and My Dog Skip went nowhere. I mean, stuff yeah. that should be generational touchstones that only found life, you know, on, on DVD. I guess what he should do yeah. is he should be like, you know what? You don't have to pay me anything for theatrical, but I want 50% home video. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's where all the money would be. Yeah, yeah. In, in their typical in their typical fashion. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I believe I haven't heard much about it. For, I haven't actually heard anything from him about it in like a long time. So yeah. I don't know where it is right now. I Probably would imagine. Dormant. I would imagine at this point he might even be able to buy his option back and make his own project, which he would probably find more fulfilling. Um, yeah. It's not as ex- as expensive to make animated films anymore. He would have complete control. I mean, we've been seeing very slowly over time um, in a very different kind of um, mind sphere what uh, Dave Sim has been trying to do with his, his Cerebus animated thing. And, of course, Dave, being a very mercurial character, <laughs> Lord only knows what, what that <laughs> thing is going to be and how offensive it will be by the time it hits the general public. I'd love to have Sim on the show, but, I mean... You just never know what Dave Sim you get. Um, I haven't really pushed it. <clears throat> no. You know, it's that he may be the idol I don't want to meet. Yeah, meet actually, you know what? Wait until an opportunity presents itself that he needs a little bit of attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe when he, he either has a new project coming out or, you know, because he's been he's been pretty dormant. I haven't heard a peep from him in a while. The last I heard was some crazy anti-feminist rant he went on with someone at the <laughs> comics journal and it was oh, out God. of nowhere like it, he was looking to pick a fight that she wasn't like pursuing and and it just like everything went sideways fast you know <laughs> and that it, was it and that he probably, was he probably just went quiet again right yeah then he just went quiet yeah, again yeah 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 but yeah it's 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 unfortunate <laughs> in that capacity <laughs> we're gonna take a it break is, you know it, Okay. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're going to um, hear from one of our sponsors, and in, in uh, 30 to 60 seconds, we'll be right back with Tom Sagoski. We're going to talk more about um, breaking into the young adult world, transitioning from comics, and um, and explore a little bit more of what he was just talking about, of um, turning a character known from comics uh, into a viable um, commodity for another media. So uh, back with us in 60. Welcome back. This is Matt Kennedy. This is Pod Sequentialism. We're talking to the great Tom Snagoski. Hello. Hello. And um, hello. I, I, I'm not. We're not going to talk weather. Um, I haven't been back oh, to Massachusetts God, in a while. Don't, don't talk weather because it doesn't make any sense. It does not. It does not. 
Now, before the break, we were talking about what you had done with Bone and taking and being approached, I guess, out of the blue in a weird way by um, by Jeff Smith's wife to yeah. To come I was well, I was friend, I was friends with Jeff and his and his wife and stuff, and would see them at conventions and stuff. So I think I think a germ got planted somewhere along the line. That's cool. That's cool. Well, let let me let's let's go at this a different way. Um, okay. As a guy, you know, you grew up around comics, um, mm-hmm. and you you got a job at the college. Was it was it at Stoneham? No, it was uh, Northeastern University. Northeastern, that's right. So you got a job yeah, at Northeastern, Northeastern, which is where I graduated from too. Which is nice. And you yeah. were you're you grew up in Lynn. Yep. And you lived in Lynn still at that point. You hadn't moved out. No. And you moved to is it Stoneham where you moved to? Stoughton. I moved to I moved to Stoughton yeah. when after I got married. I, I actually I lived on Beacon Hill in Boston for a few years, mm-hmm. and then we bought a house in Stoughton, and that's where I've been ever since. So breaking into comics, you know, to us was an alien thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'd learn a little bit more anytime we like contacted a professional who wanted to do a signing, and we'd have to do a guarantee and. And oftentimes put him up for the night. I still joke with yep. um, Bill Sankevich about the bar tab that Dana Phillips had to pay when we negotiated <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the Bill the Bill Sankevich <laughs> signings at Corner Bookstore and at uh, Dana Phillips Book Shack. There were two back to back, and uh, we paid his travel expense, and Dana paid the bar tab, and we got the better end of that deal. But um, <laughs> so I joke with him about that occasionally. But the um, you know, when we'd meet with professionals, I mean, we we sort of held these guys on pedestals and were under the impression that if you were a published comic artist that you were living well, um, <laughs> you know, and it really wasn't until Steve Bissett started to become a regular um, and would stop in at, at the bookstore that we kind of got behind the curtain, that we realized that these guys weren't making millions of dollars. Um, and then, of course, he didn't realize the disparity until he went to the Mid-Ohio convention where Dave Sim showed up in a limo and said, I just want to show you guys how the executives at DC got here. <clears throat> and he planted that kind of mind worm of like, you guys all need to go do your own thing. And um, some of them did and some of them didn't. You know, obviously, um, yep. Alan Moore being a writer and being a little bit better paid and more celebrated was getting a better deal than the guys that were doing the bulk of the work in that comic, you know, Swamp Thing at the time. And that would continue to be Alan's M.O. over the years. And I'm not going to underplay it. Alan Moore is perhaps my favorite writer of comics ever. And the stuff that he produced at the time when I read it was incredibly groundbreaking and different from everybody else's and made me think in ways that I never thought before. But having read many interviews with him and having talked to many people who have worked with him, um, you get that picture that he's he's his own biggest fan, and you know that in in a way not unlike Frank Miller, um, that he has I think believed too many of the accolades he's collected over the years somewhat to his detriment, and um, has become very difficult to work with. And you know, ideally, when you're working in in intellectual properties in one medium, if you've got collaborators. You have to leave the door open for the fact that this is going to become another medium. And while he argued intently that you know Watchmen was born of of the sequential medium and therefore wasn't meant to be anything else, um, I don't think that the Watchmen movie suffered from not being a comic. <laughs> you know, I think 
that if we're going to criticize the Watchmen movie, there's a couple casting decisions I might not have made, and that it was too on the nose, that um, the comic was perhaps used too much as a blueprint for the film, and that when it did kind of go away from the comic, it actually has its greatest strengths, and where it has its greatest weaknesses is on the soundtrack and that it uses too many cues that aren't of the era it's supposed to be, that um, it's the 60s standing mm. in for the 80s, and then you've yeah. got um, you know, a, a really strange decision to use a My Chemical Romance song in, in the end credits, which to me was even stranger mm. than the Guns N' Roses um, version of... But that's all uh, about, but Matt, that's all about <laughs> selling a soundtrack. That's Warner Brothers saying, we want to sell a soundtrack, give us something. <laughs> A catalog soundtrack with one new song is is a very interesting way to go about it, I guess. But, but that's uh, um, the only way you're going to get that song. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, it, well, it, it, and really that was Warner Music. They were a Warner Music act. They were on um, a, a, uh, was it um, ADA at the time. So yeah, it was okay. very much part of the, the Warner Music family. But the um, you know, I I didn't think the movie was terrible, and actually, I do enjoy watching it. But it is just actually, I like the movie. I I have no problems with that movie. The music cues really bum me out. Like the um, the music in the cemetery, it's just all so literal. It's kind of like in the movie Menace to Society, which is a film I also really really like. That you, the scene where they're cutting drugs opens with the song "Dope Man" by N.W.A. and I'm like, my God, could they be any more on the nose? You know, it's it's, it's a little obvious here. <laughs> you didn't you didn't like you didn't like the uh, the Dylan times they are changing. I didn't in, mind uh, that because credits. that's that's I transitional. Think that's, I think that's fantastic. That is fantastic. fantastic. That that is a that's a really great use of you know uh, mise en scène and 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 you know taking a bunch of story and and breaking it down to one. But it continues with a lot of that you know all along the Watchtower and a lot of other 60s stuff that I think yeah. they, they could have done better with the 80s. My favorite moment in the film is a music cue, and it's the Muzak version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You know, when there's yeah, the attack on Where was that Osmanias. again in the movie? That's when Osm- the fake oh, okay. assassination attempt. Okay, okay. You know, that, that that's one of my favorite moments in the film, that it, there should have been more relevant 80s songs. You know, they could have used Susie and the Banshees, Cities and Dust. You know, like, there's a lot of, of music of that era that would have fit better, I think, than this weird 60s nostalgia made by a filmmaker yeah. who has no 60s nostalgia because he's my age. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. But, you know, I, I felt but that again, it succeeded who, more who than knows, it failed. Who knows what was going on in those meetings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts I've of executives? Been, I've, been in, I've been in some of those meetings. Who knows what goes on in those meetings? They're crazy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those meetings are like, I need an excuse to say something, so I'm just going to say something right now. And yeah. It doesn't matter oh, yeah. if it makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't get invited to them anymore. Yeah, yeah that can be a problem. <laughs> I'm a problem. <laughs> so what, when so when you're you're reading comics and you're you're seeing yeah. that and you're there when comics kind of blow up. So mm, you're yeah, seeing yeah, other yeah. people starting to speculate in the comics market. I mean, and not even as bad as it was in the early '90s, but you know, in the in the mid '80s when there was starting yep. to be mainstream coverage in things like Rolling Stone for things like Watchmen and Dark Knight. And you had already written a lot of short stories. You were, I think, also collaborating with Paul Glavin at one point on on a short story. Yeah, we we happen. yeah we tried. We yeah. we tried. He has taken all of the blame for that, by the way. <laughs> that he was just very slow, and that you... well, you know what it was? He just couldn't quite seem to get out of his own way. Yeah, he just he the talent was there. Yeah, but he just couldn't 
take it to that next level. And that's it exactly kinda, what he said. That's exactly what yeah, he said about it. Yeah, he just kind of stayed in one place and just kept doing everything over again. Yeah. So you never, you never progressed. You never, you never, you know, I'd come over, we'd talk of stuff, we'd get excited, he'd start a drawing, and the next time I saw him, we were on that same drawing again. Yeah. And it just stayed in that one place. So, I yeah, think... That was, I think that's very much rooted, though, in that fact that we didn't really know anybody who was doing it professionally. And That's true. You know, that if we had known that it was possible, if we had kind of gone through a system where we saw, you know, soup to nuts, how the meal was made, that, mm-hmm. um, that we would have known how to move forward. Because I had a very similar and much longer-lasting stagnation in, in my creative output where... I just did not know how to make it to that next level. And I would put together synopses and I'd hand them off and some people yep. would do stuff with them and I would, you know, get yep. left behind. And it happens to, you know, two or three times and you should already know better. It happens to you 10 times. You should really, you know, get off your ass and figure out how to do it for yourself. And I think that so many people who don't live in New York or Los Angeles have, or say Tokyo um, or London, <laughs> have um, fallen into this um, sort of, I guess, pit of unknown, you know, that it's it's really difficult. And I don't want to say it's easier for a writer because it isn't, you know, that you no, write oh, what God, you write, no. <laughs> but getting it in front of yeah. somebody who can read it and turn it into something is even more difficult. Matter of fact, I think, I think it's harder for yeah, a writer. Because it's harder to, to land a story. Now. Yeah. It was hard to land a story, and it's hard to get somebody to take the time to read something. Yep. I mean, I work with editors in book publishing who don't like to read. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of like, oh, God, you know, how do, you, how do I do this? Yeah. I mean, and you're talking about a, a, an age so long ago that we didn't even know how to write a comic script. Right. We'd no never way seen one. To, Never seen one before. Steve Bissett, I got to thank Steve. Steve Bissett was my savior on that, too. He yep. gave me some of um, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing scripts. Yep. And that was the first time I saw a comic. Now, it was an Alan Moore script that I saw, which <laughs> were, were like... Not a good pages. template. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's funny, because I can remember Steve saying, now, this is basically how to do it, but... I don't think you want to do it like this. Right. And then as I was reading it, I kind of got it because Alan would go off on pages and pages and pages of description. It was this great, um, I remember distinctly, this is crazy. He had, I believe the page that he was describing was a rotting casket underground Mm -hmm. with the corpse in the casket. This is what Steve and um, And John John Toddler were drawing. And there were bugs in the casket, so you got the you got that cutaway, you know, of the earth with the ground, you know, with the. the I know exactly how Bissett's drawing that. Yep. Yep, but Alan in the script goes into the conversations that the bugs are having. Not that that's going to be included in the script anywhere. (laughs) That's deep background. Yeah, he went on the pages. Of the bugs conversation. What are the bugs talking about? LSD is a marvelous thing. Yep. And it was hysterical because it was, but it got, I mean, so that's why the script was as long as it was that Alan had a tendency, I guess, to do that. He just would expand upon the moment, even though it wasn't going to, wasn't going to show up anywhere in the comic. Yeah. And what's funny is that, you know, and then you look at like a Grant Morrison comic where he actually does thumbnail sketches. 
in his scripts. Okay, okay. So he, he gives like real specific um, instruction, which makes it much easier for the pencilers, and then he gives them complete freedom. So if he's working with someone like Frank Quitely, you know, arguably one of the best pencilers in the business, but not a fast penciler, I think a lot <laughs> of what Frank does is elimination. That it's not right. that he's spending time putting more lines in, he's spending a lot of time figuring out how to take lines out so that exactly. it doesn't become too rooted in what that particular panel is and it gets more universal. And very few people do that. You know, it's 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 sort of really refreshing to see that he's still able to maintain that level of output. Well, not the level of output, you, but the level of quality output. Yeah, and that's why you got there, there, there is this group of guys in comics that are kind of off on their own little pedestal somewhere, and you're so excited when they actually do something. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, oh, hopefully it'll come out on time and I'll have five issues or a graphic novel or whatever. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Arthur Adams is like that. Yeah, I, I, oh, I, Arthur was my favorite as a kid, you know. I, oh, Arthur, Arthur is a, and he's a super nice guy. Yep. I see him all the time. And, but his stuff is just, you look at his stuff and you're like, oh, my God. This is just amazing. Yep. Why don't you do more? The amazing you're kind of like a cover guy now. Yeah, it was where the money is. You know, it's not worthwhile to do interiors anymore. Probably even yeah, for know, Arthur Adams. I but I mean, you got a guy who's a cross between Dave Stevens and, and George Perez, and yeah. you know, really kickstarted that whole image look. They were all trying to do Arthur Adams. Yeah, they really. Yeah, they. Yeah, badly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Well, well, now now we're going to transition from you know you get a script from from Steve and you you know how to write it and I mean like that's huge yeah. you know that a lot of people don't oh, have access is. to that and so you started yeah. doing stuff you know you started doing the indie stuff you start getting on on the radar of of the big companies and then you start writing the books and then you know you get the Angel YA book and then you start working on on your own project and yeah. when did that first book come out? Now they did the um my my the, the very first fallen book. Yes, fallen. Uh, first fallen book was oh geez, oh man, I'm I'm gonna be dating. I'm gonna maybe two thousand two thousand four two thousand five maybe. Oh God, I'm terrible. I think it's my brain four. just went completely. My my brain just went completely. Uh, now. If, I'm in my office, and if I if I could move gigantic stacks of boxes away from a bookcase, <laughs> I could see it. But 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 I can't get I can't. She's my wife has organized my office numerous times, and she's kind of like barricaded certain sections in. But I think it's probably around like two thousand two thousand three two thousand four something yeah, like that. That sounds about was the right. First book, and then there was a TV series came out of that. Well, all right. There's there's a couple of missing pieces. Yes, a TV series did come out of that, but it came out of it due to being noticed after the way after the four books had been published. Mm -hmm. The four books had been published. Um, didn't didn't do all that well. The initial the initial uh, sales of the books, mm -hmm. but for some reason, ABC Family Channel caught wind of them and my manager managed to, you know, to sell, to get an option on them. Mm -hmm. And they turned it into three, uh, made for TV movies. Right. Now this is um, also right in that, that creative space where, um, Stephanie's twilight books had started coming out. And so that supernatural. No, that was before. Stuff, right. The, right. Well, yeah. But the, the, uh, there's a connection to that too. I, I want to mention cause it's very funny. After the four books had come out of The Fallen, mm -hmm. 
didn't sell that well. Did the TV movie. The sales on the paperbacks maybe increased a little bit. They were, but they were pretty much on the verge of going out of print. Right. Well, after the movie and after Twilight, the, the, the books of Twilight, all, all publishers started to say, what do we have hanging around that we can repackage? Yep. So what they did with my books is that they took the four books and took book one and two and put it in one large book with a very sexy, almost homoerotic type cover. I will say a, a CW star cover. Yes, yes, <laughs> the naked, with the with the with the bare chested angel on the cover and stuff. Yep. And that, that was the first two books, and then they did it again with uh, books three and four mm-hmm. with another cover, and those things sold like crazy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, explode. I mean, explosively. I mean, I really, really sold well, and that caused them to say, "Hey." you want to continue the series, can you come up with an idea that would spin out of your last book? And I did uh, three more books after that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so, that's kind a of... Lot the... of years bet- there was a lot of years between that last four book, that, that fourth book and the, uh, the new books. There was... well, well, there's a lesson there for everybody. I mean, if Interview with the Vampire is 1975 and it's dead on arrival... And then, mm-hmm. you know, a couple years later, um, it starts to pick up a little bit of a cult reputation. And it's not until The Vampire Lestat gets published in 1982 or so that um, yep. that, that whole series, you know, really starts to pick up steam. And then Anne Rice starts writing seemingly a new book every year uh, for, for yep. a period and of, of, across a variety of subjects um, and across a variety of unpronounceable Egyptian names. But the... Um, What's great is that now Fallen is kind of, it's got to be your bread and butter at this point. Uh, not at, at that point or right now. How about right now? Right now, I still see some royalty checks. You know, every couple of months I'll get a royalty check, but it's, it's kind of fallen off the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, YA has kind of gone in another direction. They're right. kind of the, uh, the supernatural stuff. I mean, they're still doing it. But they're not doing it as much as they were doing it, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, when when the, when the books were originally coming out, most definitely, I mean, I was I was making some serious dough on the you know on the royalties and stuff on those books, but uh, it but that's definitely fallen off quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So. So what's what's the oh, primary well. what's the prime? <laughs> oh well, what's what's the pr- oh, well. <laughs> what's the prime mover these days? Um, let me think. What did I? What? Did, well, I did the. I did the. Uh, I did a, that book with Mignola. Yeah. That came out like last year, which was a blast. I I had an absolute blast doing that. Um, I'm. This is. I probably shouldn't even say this because they haven't even announced it officially. But I'm going back to the Bone World. Oh, awesome! For yeah, for 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 a new book. We're still in the process of putting all the pieces together, but. I, I can't imagine that it won't happen. So right, that, right. that's kind of a that's a scoop. The that's scoop. That's a scoop. Scoop Brady, two points. <laughs> um, geez. I mean, as far as book stuff, I mean, the bone stuff still brings me in some nice royalties and stuff. Um, as far as a new project, I got a I got a book coming out in April. Mm-hmm. Which well, you we can we can save to the end of our conversation. You want to talk about that because I want to talk about because it's, it's it's very unlike anything that I've done before, mm-hmm. and it's 
incredibly funny. Well, shit, we'll have you back in April to to hype it as it comes out. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, I I would would absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely love that. It's uh, called the Atomic Frenchie. <laughs> it's got to be about a French bulldog. It, it's about, about my dog. I have a French. I have the. I have the world's most awful French bulldog. <laughs> and it's a. It's about. It's basically the cute little dog that lives next door to you is actually Lex Luthor, and he's going to take over the world. Nice, Pinky and the yeah, Brain so, as a dog. Oh yeah. Oh, he's far worse than that. He's just despicable. Yeah. This is actually a, a, a funny publishing story. When when I was shopping Atomic Frenchie around, um, I got to mention too that the artist it's it's a it's a weird um, amalgam of graphic novel and novel. It's like so illustrated book, of comic. right? Right. Yeah, yeah. There's like whole sections of comic book, like that will go for like ten pages of comics, and then it'll flow right back into prose with sporadic pieces of illustration throughout, and then a couple more comic pages. It's it's really fun. If, I if love we that. do That's it right, idea. I wish there was more of that. Yeah, yeah. If we if we do this right, it's going to be really really cool. But um, the artist is a guy named Tom McWeenie, who. Tom McWeenie used to do a book for Dark Horse way back in the 90s called Roach Mill. Yeah. With a guy named uh, Rich Heaton, I think is the guy's name. He was like the writer-artist, and McWeenie was like writer-artist, so they were kind of like a tag team. Are those guys from D.C.? Yeah, they did did some D.C. They did the Demon for D.C. for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and actually McWeenie inked Joe Matiera on Battle Chasers. Wow. Small world on the end part of Battle Chasers. He worked. He worked for Wildstorm. He was like a Wildstorm guy for a while. Wow. Um, so I dragged him back into the <laughs> into the world of publishing, kicking and screaming. But he's he's the artist on Atomic Frenchie. And when we were shipping, when we were shopping Atomic Frenchie around, people would get it. My agent would give it to people and would get these glowing responses at first. It would be this, this is so funny. Oh, my God, I love this idea. This is so great. And then they'd pause, and they'd say, but the main character is such an asshole. <laughs> and we're like, that's the point. Right. He's a bad guy. Yep. He's a really nasty bad guy. People don't remember Garfield. Like, they obviously don't. Oh, yeah, they obviously don't. But but we kept saying, we're like, this is the point of the story. Yeah. He is going to do anything to achieve his goals whether it means that he has to step over the corpses of his best friends or not. Right. This, is, this, is, this is the point. And they just couldn't get it. Wow. They just could not get it. We even had publishers who were making us offers, but the offer was only going to happen if he got nice at the end. I guess they didn't pay attention to what's happening in world politics. No. No, oh, and it's funny too because you see a lot of that. In when I'm writing, I I find myself leaning and 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 I kind of chuckle. I'm like, man, this is really playing into a little social commentary going on here that I wouldn't normally do, but it's amusing, so I'm going to put it in. You, you have to weave but in that... a reference to litter box countries, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was so funny. They would be like, you know, we love it, we want to do it but here's what you have to do. And we didn't want to budge. We just felt that it would, to to soften him, would be to kind of almost like betray yourself. You know, because the idea was so firmly rooted in our brains that, that you know, this is how we wanted this character to be. And we were amused like crazy by it. Right. That, that, that we just couldn't. We couldn't budge. 
We couldn't budge. We actually had we actually had meetings like phone like desperate phone meetings happening at like five o'clock on a Friday afternoon where they were about to make offers and they retracted their offers. Well, now we know what's happening, so that's good. Yeah, because we would yeah we wouldn't budge. But uh, the publisher that's doing it is Insight Editions, who primarily used to do like movie art books, like the art of. uh, Oh right, right. Yeah, I'm familiar with them. Sure. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. They're be- they do beautiful books, but they're branching off into uh, comics and graphic novels and illustrated novels and stuff like that. And, they, and we're going to be their, their first of this type, this type of book. Cool. We're going to pause for just yeah. a second. I'm going to um, hop out for a minute, and I'll be right back. All right, sorry about that. And in three, That's two, okay. one, we'll be back. Okay. Okay, well, I want to thank Tom Sagoski for uh, talking about these projects throughout this uh, this podcast, and we're going to welcome him back in April to talk about this this new Atomic Frenchie. But um, before I let you go, I want you to give me some social media. Where can people find what you're working on? Um, I'm all over. I'm on uh, my Facebook page, which is just uh, Thomas Sagoski, and my um, Twitter page, Tom, which is at Tom Sagoski, and. Yeah, reach out to me. I'll 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 talk to you. I'm 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 I'm, I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sit here. I sit here in this office for lo- way too long without any social contact. Please. Well, I think if, if people take nothing else from this, I think that if you're going to excel at writing for young audience, you have to kind of stay young for a really long time. And there's a playfulness that absolutely comes by in your personality. I think anybody who knows you would knows this about you, is that. It's not that it's arrested development. It's being able to touch back into the joys we got from the things that we enjoyed when we were kids. Yep. And if, if yep. you let go of that, if you let people drum out of you your love for the stuff that you loved when you were young, you start to get old. And what's so and, great— uh, Let me tell you, they, they try. They, they do. They, 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 it's almost like they take a certain amount of glee to try to beat it out of you. Sure, sure. It's, it's, it's the sadism of, uh, of adult progression, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag that one if you can. Well, hey, Tom, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. I'm sorry it took this long. It's, uh, you know, it, no problem. You should have been one of the first three, but I'm, I'm glad to get you in, and I'm going to get you in again this year. I'm um, always interested in what you do. You've always been an incredibly important um, person in my life. Um, seeing you have great success made me realize that things can get done. And especially coming from you know a city that we did, which was we weren't from Boston, we were north of Boston. It was yeah. uh, it was a rough a rough go growing up in that environment. And it was. And so realizing that there was a way out that was creative that could use your imagination was very much empowering, and I'm sure it continues to be. Well, thank you very much. It was a blast, and I can't wait to come back in April. Awesome. All right, thanks, Tom. All right, take it easy. Cheers.